Why Atlanta pulls back the curtain with two of the nation's most successful entrepreneurship stories coming from the A and spotlighting two exceptional founders from underrepresented communities. We understand how they seek advantage through mindset and community, and we appreciate that they show how to manifest success with hard work, strategy, and community. Strategic Manufactured Wins. In this episode, Strategic Manufactured Wins, we dive deep with the brain trust behind innovative, proactive, and tactical strategies leading to entrepreneurial success for underrepresented founders. The Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative highlights some of Atlanta's most passionate leaders creating waves from community to capital investment. It's amazing to see that word again, community. Why Atlanta welcomes Eileen Lee, co-founder of The Lola, a club and community designed for women. Born out of a scenario common to many female founders, Eileen suffered from lack of purpose early in her career as a corporate management consultant. So she switched gears and started a company that grew nationally to help recruit recent college graduates into startups called Venture for America. She quickly realized a lot of the challenges women face in the corporate world were alive and well in the startup environment. As COO of Venture for America, she made an impact by creating an internal women's and diversity initiative to support a thousand plus fellows and aspiring entrepreneurs and a supportive culture with a benefits program that was second to none regarding parental leave for her 30 plus and growing team. However, Eileen knew starting a family of her own meant she needed to find a better way to work and became committed to being purposeful with her next company, the one she wanted to build. Eileen continues to serve as an advisor and mentor at Venture for America, as an advisor at Project Entrepreneur, a program to support female entrepreneurs, serves on the Changemaker Board at Hands on Atlanta, and is a board member at Spring Research Foundation. So this conversation is for entrepreneurial support organizations, or ESOs, that want to think about how to design the right environment, how to leverage community to overcome obstacles unique to underrepresented founders. Super excited to talk with Eileen about the Lola, a place where women can thrive. Eileen brilliantly serves as a catalyst for something called conscious entrepreneurship, where she helps to create direct pathways and strategies for success in this space. How do you set yourself up for success from community to environment? Eileen is the shero in creating those bridges to resources. And this is how she leverages her origin story as a doer and a builder. I think that I wanted to start by having you tell our audience a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and how you went from the founder of Venture for America to the co-founder of the Lola. Sure. So I have a pretty typically traditional first-generation Korean-American immigrant upbringing. I had really strict parents, strict and conservative. They wanted me to follow the path to be a doctor or a lawyer. So that's pretty much all I knew as a kid growing up. And in college, was pretty directionless and then majored in econ because there was no business major, let alone entrepreneurship major minor. And I feel like it's there's chock full of them now, which is really exciting. So always had a sense that I was better at learning by doing versus learning by listening. I was just sharing that I don't go to a lot of, I don't sign up for a lot of conferences because whenever I'm in like a classroom setting, I think my body has an adverse reaction. Oh, <laughs> I was never a great student. Let's not do this. 
But I got my first job in consulting for no good reason. Again, I that was one of the places that interviewed me and invited me back for a final round. So I started off my career as a management consultant at Accenture. Spent five and a half years there, which is quite a long time. I think the average tenure, at least when I was there, was about two years. People would get in and get out to what they actually wanted to do. And I just continued to figure it out and eventually got burnt out. And then for me, it was really serendipitous. I did not leave and quit intending to start a company. I left and quit because consulting and I think a lot of corporate careers don't give you or allow you the time and headspace to think of anything else. They will keep you busy. I tried to study for business school. I tried to do these things and explore other things. I just was traveling full time, working 20 hour days, just getting burnt out, didn't have time for anything. So I quit against my my mom's wishes of never quitting without having another job lined up and met my my co-founder and business partner for Venture for America. So it was very serendipitous. I was in my late 20s. He pitched me the idea that he had. I was convinced and had the conviction immediately that this business needed to exist and this solution to a problem. And the problem in 2011 was the vast majority of recent grads are going into finance consulting, law, teacher America, grad school, and medicine for the wrong reason. And I was a product of that. So we wanted to create a direct path into entrepreneurship and startups and creating conscious entrepreneurs who build meaningful companies. And the rest is history. I cut my teeth doing that, worked crazy hours for six years, growing and building the company. The company is still around today. I had the pleasure of meeting a recruitment associate who works for their team. Their team is now fully distributed, which is pretty awesome to hear. When I was there, there was about 35 of us all in a New York office obviously pre-pandemic. So it's been evolving with the time. After that experience, I knew I love building things. I love creating a positive impact. And not until I met my co-founder, Martine, did I really think about and realize that I love community building because very much Venture for America was a community for aspiring entrepreneurs. And the Lola now is a community for professional women. And that part of it. I I have, I love that's like what fills my cup up every day. I love figuring out the problems and being able to find win-win scenarios between our members, our partners. I get to work with awesome people like you. So it's, it makes work a lot more fun. I love all of that conscious entrepreneurship, creating actual wins and strategies for getting into entrepreneurship. 15 years ago, there was no Lola. There was no Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative. And you just had to get out there and figure it out. But it turns out there are a lot of people that are in our shoes or a lot of people like us, and they would all benefit from places and programs and people that can show them a path or create a strategy towards entrepreneurship as opposed to just winging it. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so that brings you to the Lola, which I think is such an intentional co-working space. And I don't know, do you refer to it as a co-working space or just an environment? We avoided referring to ourselves as a co-working space because we wanted to really emphasize that we were much more than that. But the reality is people are looking for co-working spaces, particularly now coming out of the pandemic. So we absolutely do. I say women's club and community, but definitely co-working space and similar to the co-working model. You're using the co-working model to build community. And so one of the things about that environment that I think is so exceptional is the design and how that design fosters community engagement. And when I'm talking about design, I'm talking about it's designed as a place for women. Jay Bailey would say unapologetically for women. It's a woman's aesthetic. 
It's beautiful. It's functional. It's practical. You can do your makeup there. You can take a video call there. You can do a presentation. You can have a conference. You can have your baby. You can, it's a really functional place for the needs of a high powered woman in business, an entrepreneurial woman, but all the needs. And I bring up all of those different parts and things that are unique to women because they're not going anywhere. As long as we reported these types of conversations, no one talks about the children or putting on your makeup or the, I got to do double duty here because that's not a part of business. When it is a part of the business, because these are things that are a part of our life, they're all interconnected. And I just love that your space addresses that. Do you mind kind of sharing some of your thoughts about that design and how it's really a part of the business model. I absolutely agree. The premise of why Martine and I got started with the the workplace is still so challenging for women. Women are underserved, yes. underrepresented for all the reasons you mentioned. And then there's this other thing that we learned about. It's called the coded patriarchy and how physical spaces to this day are still designed with men in mind, not women, men specifications yeah. of a male body, the weight of doors, the temperature of offices, even prescription pain medication. It's like we're just beginning to properly test and bring women in more so that I remember we were just consuming all this research and data and couldn't believe that we still say today in Atlanta, we're one of the few spaces that are designed with women in mind from yeah. we have purse hooks, we have our mothers and wellness room, like you mentioned. If I had it my way in 2017, when we got started, we would have had a full-fledged daycare building next to our space. Yeah. We held focus groups and surveys and basically got the feedback that that is so great. That is absolutely a problem that a lot of women tackle, but it's not something that people would necessarily pull their kid out of whatever solution they did find to bring them into this new space. So I remember being really bummed and devastated that wasn't going to be a viable way to launch. But in retrospect, that would have been two separate businesses. (laughs) So pretty difficult to manage. And I at the time was pregnant with my first child. I think back and I was like, I was pretty naive as a to be parent. Women do double duty all the time. And if you have the resources and the environment to manage that, you can do it. Yeah. It's okay to breastfeed your baby, put them down to sleep, put on a blazer and then turn to your Zoom call, right? That that happens. If you've got the resources around you, it's just never been concepted that way. And I really think you guys are ahead of the curve. Do other organizations come to you to ask about that design? I even know for the WE program, I've taken more than a couple of notes. And when we redesign our space, I wanted to mimic a lot of the things that you've done. Are you having that type of conversation? I, and I can't say that a lot of people, are, there are a lot of inbound inquiries about that. If anything, we're interested in originally pre-pandemic, we wanted to have multiple locations in different cities, et cetera. And that's since been put on hold. But we are interested and have had very initial conversations of maybe having a Lola room and space. So how can we c- create more space, physical space and mental space for professional women to take care of themselves, invest in themselves and really have a space designed for it. So having like a store in another community space, could there be a Lola room that represents this is for women? It's to care for women in all aspects of what they do and have to manage and all the things. We're always interested in and open to chatting with people. And we love that people can take some tips. We constantly learn from our members how we can continue to improve our physical space as well as our community environment. So we're constantly trying to evolve and improve. No, I feel like it's obviously a tangible asset, your physical space. 
but the design of it, the space, I feel like it's, it's a little bit bigger than life and it, you're in it. So you're not, maybe not aware of it. Like you were saying, so many buildings are even designed and concepted with the, a male body and frame in mind and the weight and all those things. And uh, I don't know, I just think there's so much to creating those sorts of spaces. I think that's in the spirit of these manufactured wins, right? If you set up the premise, then you're going to have the right outcome. But if you set people up for failure, then you're going to have a poor outcome as well. How does this design and the space, how does that help you strive for inclusivity? Because I know that's really important to you. I know that you've been able to build a lot of community around Alola from a lot of different parts of Atlanta that historically haven't really come together in a place. And you seem to crack that net. Oh, thank you. And I have to say it was not just something that we decided to do and happened. We've been around for over three years now. So I think that probably over the past year, we just started seeing the fruits of our labor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we knew from the beginning, we wanted to be intentional. We, we wanted to ideally reflect the population of Atlanta and Atlanta has such a robust and amazing Black population and community as well as white, Asian and Latinx. So for us, it was many things. We learned from a lot of failures from other concepts that just in a physical space, you can't just have products that are made for Black women and then be like, okay, we're ready to be inclusive to everyone. It's so many things. We recruited recruitment ambassadors, women of color. We asked them before we even launched our space, will you help us reach out to your networks because those don't overlap with ours? And would you help us recruit to expand our network and ensure diversity? We have worked with DEI strategic consultants. We have listened and partnered with 55 Black female entrepreneurs. At the beginning of 2020, we just wrapped up this partnership program with the thesis of if we can better support the most underrepresented amongst our community of professional women, so our Black female entrepreneurs and business owners, then we'll all benefit. So we, we partnered with them. We listened to their challenges and we really took that data and information and feedback to tweak our programming and our resources and have partnered with great organizations like we and the Center for Civic Innovation. So again, it's just constantly listening and learning, partnering and trying to create bridges to resources that we don't necessarily have. From there, three years in, we are 51% women of color. The vast majority of the women of color are Black members and business owners. And the feedback we get from them is, this is a space for me. I feel like I belong. It's psychologically safe. So one of the proudest accomplishments we've had to date. The pandemic has been rough from a business standpoint, especially having a physical space. But to continue to make progress in the inclusivity has been incredibly heartwarming, fulfilling, awesome. Do you see or believe that you'll be able to sustain that inclusivity given your location? You're in a beautiful section of Atlanta, a midtown, close to Pont City Market, an area that's gentrifying rapidly. How do you see that playing out over the years, over the next five to 10 years? That's a great question. We were intentional about the neighborhood. Ideally, I think we would have loved to go to a little bit more of a diverse and accessible neighborhood that also had opportunity zone benefits. But at the end of the day, because we are catering to women, it had to be safe. So where we are, we feel safe. Our landlord has phenomenal security that you can call to get escorted to your car like you said, in the next five or 10 years, gentrification will continue and we'll have to keep our eye on 
ensuring that we continue to be acceptable from being across the street from Pontiac Market, the proximity to to the Marta North Avenue, having a free shuttle that goes there, having free parking with our members, and you can drive up right to our building. That was enough of a combination that we jumped on. I think that's an important question that we need to keep an eye on in the future. Even with the WE program, we're in downtown Atlanta. I love that neighborhood, but for the last two years with the pandemic, that area of town was really closed for business. And if you're working as a female founder, you are often working into the night, 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And so that is a huge consideration. I can't tell you how it warms my heart, but our members who do stay late, our intern had shared with me the other week that she was there a little bit late wrapping up an event and everyone just takes care of one another. Someone saw that she was the last person there along with them. So they waited and made sure they walked her to the car and they left together. So that happens pretty regularly, which is awesome. Women investing in women, women looking out Mm -hmm. for each other and women designing environments for women to thrive in. It seems like it is foundational to success. I think so. And I think that women typically struggle to ask for help or perhaps we're raised to be quiet and keep your head down and don't ask for help. So I think personally for me, I struggled with that as an adult and building your tribe and community of support is the only way to go, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you can't do it on your own. And whether it's personally and professionally to have people to lean on, even just to save time because I don't have time to, to figure out how to do X, Y, Z for my business. Who can I lean on to work with, hire, et cetera, from the community? And then also, when I mentioned win-win situations, I can hire and support another women-owned business. And it's just building the friendships and camaraderie and collaborating. People often refer to the old boys club and how there's no old girls club or whatever else you don't call it. So building a network of powerful women who can reach out to one another in times of need or in times of great opportunity. What do you think is the Lola's greatest contribution to Atlanta's entrepreneurial ecosystem? Oh, gosh. I think I shared this with you, Monica, but because we're not your traditional tech startup, I feel like we've been a little bit on the outskirts of the startup ecosystem. And thanks to wonderful partners like you, I feel like you've been so great and intentional about bringing us in. When we launched in July of 2019, our community was a mix of corporate women as well as entrepreneurs. Three years later, we're majority founders, freelancers, and business owners. That's been a cool thing to see and double down on supporting entrepreneurs. So I think for us, I'm going to say it again, but we're a psychologically safe space for women to come, have unfiltered conversations, talk about the challenges that they have that they can't speak about at their office, workplace, in meeting rooms because they don't want investors or other folks to overhear. And then the partnerships we've been able to make, I'll give one example. Atlanta Ventures, they're out at Atlanta Tech Village. Mm-hmm. Their female principal, Catherine O'Day, she's a member at the Lola and she comes here to meet with our members. And I think there's a lot to be said to meeting our female founders where they are versus asking them to go up there, yep. particularly for our Black female entrepreneurs and women of color. It's psychologically safe space where they feel like they can be themselves. That goes a long way versus asking them to go somewhere that they've never been to before that potentially majority white, male. I think being able to bridge those connections and make those connections that wouldn't normally happen, that's been really our secret sauce and sweet spot of bridging and connecting networks that normally wouldn't have happened in a regular day-to-day encounter. I have one last question for you, and it is why Atlanta? 
I don't think the Lola would have looked this way if it were in a different city. I'm not from here. I know there are a ton of transplants in Atlanta. I've learned so much living here and getting to know the community, the startup ecosystem and the community leaders. And there is such an intentionality that I think the city of Atlanta requires of you as a new business, especially as a community builder. Most cities, you can't come in and say, I'm not from here, throw down a thing and say, okay, everybody use it. But it's, it's been such an interesting thing to have to navigate and figure out. I can't say that it's easy or obvious in any way, but once you get to know the people and the leaders of the city, it is this beautiful, intricate quilt of amazing and inspiring individuals. And I will say the first thing I did notice was how many amazing women I was connected to as people suggested, oh, you want to start a company? Even before it was the women's space, you should meet this person. And I kept on getting connected to women. And growing up in New York, that was never the case. It was meet this man. So that in itself, there's something really special about Atlanta and the amazing professionals, and particularly the women it attracts here. A tribe of freelancers, founders, and business leaders. This is the Lola. Conscious entrepreneurship through design. Conscious entrepreneurship through community, through inclusivity, resulting in success and abundance. We have another Atlanta superstar on deck, Mr. Ryan Wilson, co-founder and CEO of The Gathering Spot, a private membership network that serves as a hub for collaboration, connections, and experiences. Ryan is also the chief community officer of Greenwood, a digital banking services platform for Black and minority individuals and businesses, and a principal at AC3, a music, tech, and film conference and festival. I'm going to take a break in Ryan's bio here and make sure the audience knows that I'm going to share the entirety of Ryan's biography because I want listeners to be inspired by the young leadership coming out of Atlanta. And I want entrepreneurs to understand Ryan's grind and his mindset and how he's really out here setting the tone for others to follow, showing how to manifest confidence. So back to the bio. At the age of 24, with a mission to create a world where opportunity is the byproduct of community and collaboration, Ryan and his business partner raised capital to open their first gathering spot location in Atlanta. The club has since established itself nationally as a home for creatives, business professionals, and entrepreneurs, and regularly hosts notable and culturally impactful events. Responsible for the company's overall management and strategic vision, Ryan has led the club's physical expansion with location openings in Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles, and launching of membership communities in New York City, Detroit, Charlotte, Houston, and Chicago, as well as the digital expansion of the company's platform, TGS Connect. In 2022, the gathering spot was acquired by Greenwood Incorporated, creating the largest fintech and community platform for blacks and minorities with a combined community of over 1 million people. The company share a mission of closing the wealth gap for minorities through community building, entrepreneurship, group economics, and wealth building. This partnership represents a historic move as one of the few black on black M&A transactions at scale. 
Ryan has been honored as the Small Business Person of the Year by the Atlanta Business Chronicle, was selected as one of the 2020 Atlanta Business Chronicle's 40 Under 40 honorees, was named one of Goldman Sachs' most intriguing entrepreneurs in 2021, and was selected for the inaugural class of Shea Moisture's Social Justice Coalition. The mayor of Atlanta honored Ryan and his business partner with the prestigious Phoenix Award, the city's highest honor, and Atlanta Magazine named him one of Atlanta's five most powerful leaders, as he's also been named one of the country's most influential African Americans in the Route 100 and the Ebony Power 100. Ryan has been featured in notable national publications such as the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Forbes, Inc., The New York Times, Revolt, Black Enterprise, Bloomberg Business Week, The Huffington Post, and USA Today. He is a trusted speaker and regularly moderates conversations with thought leaders and notable individuals ranging from political figures like President Joe Biden and leader Stacey Abrams to business pioneers like Tashunda Duckett and Ben Chestnut, as well as leaders in the entertainment industry, including Will Packer, Gunna, Kelly Rowland, and Gabrielle Union. His work has led to several keynote presentations for various companies, including Goldman Sachs, Delta Airlines, Google, Meta, the Ford Motor Company and Nike. A native to Atlanta, Ryan is currently an active participant in several Atlanta civic and community organizations. He proudly serves on the boards of Usher's New Look, the Woodruff Arts Center, the Atlanta Business League, the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta, Peace Preparatory Academy, and the Atlanta Metro Chamber of Commerce. He is a member of the Atlanta chapter of 100 Black Men, Atlanta Rotary Club, and has previously served as co-chair for Black Men Count Initiative of Fair Count. Ryan graduated from Georgetown University and Georgetown University Law Center. He currently resides happily in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife and two children. In response to the polarity and senseless hate these times show us, there needs to be a new type of community driving economic development and prosperity. Ryan Wilson is on the cutting edge of that drive. He starts with a thesis of relationship building, which really is the essence of business. The gathering spot is about creating an environment that encourages these types of relationships, these connections, this bringing people together. Fortunately, Ryan still sees Atlanta as the land of milk and honey for business prosperity, and he's leveraging the capital diversity, especially in this business ecosystem that we're building, in celebrating the opportunity to build a new type of experience seasoned with the Atlanta gumbo. Credit to Ambassador Andrew Young, Startup Atlanta Awards 2022. I'd love for you to tell our audience a little bit about your background, about the gathering spot, and how and why you built it out of Atlanta. Sure. First and foremost, I really appreciate the opportunity to participate and excited about this conversation. I'm Ryan Wilson. I grew up in Atlanta with plans to be an attorney and entrepreneurship was never something that I thought was going to be for me. To make a long story short, I ended up going to DC for undergrad and for law school. And while I was there, I was just exposed to a lot. Did a lot of community organization work and community building work. And the thing that I saw pretty quickly, and there was a galvanizing moment for us where it's working back at a law firm between summers. And it was the same summer that George Zimmerman was on trial for Trayvon Martin's murder. And again, long story short, after he was unfortunately acquitted of Trayvon Martin's murder, 
I got an email from some friends that I've been doing some organizing work with that said, what are we going to do? And I responded back to them with the idea of building a new type of place, but really community as I saw it, where we'd be able to have that conversation. And I thought go on to talk about many other things. So that started the journey. That was 2013, summer of 2013. We ended up opening the first gathering spot in 2016 and have the same thesis. It's about bringing people together and we, we build physical spaces, but the work and the thing that I'm so excited about is the connections and the relationship and proximity that we're able to create between people that ordinarily wouldn't know each other. You being from Atlanta, how does that play into, into this creation or this, this entity? Is being from Atlanta part of that, the reason you're able to galvanize this type of community, you think? I'm only here because of Atlanta and wherever here is, but Atlanta has been the foundation for... Uh, a lot of our work, I think that the city is one of the more important ones in the country, if not in the world. And when we were thinking about where we wanted to build the first gathering spot, sure, I'm from Atlanta, but we were studying a lot of different cities. The thing that stood out with, with Atlanta in particular, though, was that it was a city that was undefined in ways that I found other cities to be way too defined. So if you look at where I was in D.C., government or politics defines the town. If you look at New York, it's thought of being a financial capital. If you look at cities like Los Angeles, it's all about Hollywood. But if you look at Atlanta, all of those things were yeah. finance capital and creative capital. And uh, we, we have a network of colleges and universities. We've got big business and small business all happening here at the same time. And so that diversity, the ecosystem was the thing that made me really excited about coming back because that's what I wanted the club to represent. I wanted the suits and ties sitting next to the t-shirts and jeans. And I knew that because Atlanta wasn't being run by anybody, really, we were we had an opportunity to, to build a, a new type of experience. I recently was a guest in a conversation with Ambassador Young and Mayor Dickens. And Ambassador Young called the city gumbo. Yeah. He's from Louisiana, but I thought that was interesting that he referred to it that way and that it's proven to be a, a strength or something that the city can leverage, particularly in the, even the last few years, like we're not all in one industry or one space. And we know each other, right? Like just yeah. to just put a boat, like we know each other in this city. And so you'll find in other towns that the finance folks are very separate and apart from the creative community and the creative community doesn't hang out with the small yeah. business or entrepreneurial community. What's exciting about Atlanta is that that's not true here, right? The different groups sub-communities actually do know one another and actually work with one another. It feels like a small thing, but when you travel, you see quickly that even sometimes in the same industry, you'll find the film community doesn't really know the music community. But in yeah. Atlanta, that's just not possible. Everyone is working together in a way that I think is what keeps the, the city really at the forefront of a lot of things all the time. I know that you've been able here recently to expand and now the gathering spot is in D.C., Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Charlotte, Detroit, and Houston. Do you feel like that special part of Atlanta where they got the T-shirts next to the suits, the creatives next to the tech, have you been able to export that or share that special gumbo with these other, these other cities? I can't take full credit for that. I think Atlanta's largest export is our culture. And so I certainly didn't invent exporting Atlanta culture, but we have participated in making sure that, yeah, I mean, we're in other places, but we're in those cities true to what's happening locally in all of the cities that you just mentioned, but definitely with the heart of what established this thing, which is about the same sort of 
thesis around connectivity and relationship building that is a very Atlanta thing. And we talk openly about that. There are some cities that you just listed that are not known for being cities where folks are overly friendly or seek out relationship in the same way. And what we try to bring anywhere that we go is that thought that, no, it's important for us to build with one another. And this is going to be a place, even if the city that you live in isn't, this place inside of the city will be a place where you can actually form those relationships. I think that's really unique. I think it's really special for you to have put some context around that for people and then created a physical manifestation of that because people don't get it until they see it and feel it and touch it. I appreciate you saying that. It's it's strange if you think about it. After high school and college, those are really the last environments that most people are in where they have access to space, diversity of thought and people and thought leadership coming to you on a regular basis and just community, just the ability to go to the cafeteria and meet and have really strong relationships built. So oftentimes why the relationships that are formed in high school and college are the ones that are end up being lifelong. But what's strange is that we kind of abandoned that project right after undergrad for many of us, which for me doesn't make sense. We all grow and mature, but there should still be places where the fundamentals of what's happening in those settings should still continue on as we grow. We should still know other people and have access to different points of view. And we should still have space to be able to create and work and socialize. And that doesn't have to be random as we get older. There, There can be intentional places where that's the actual objective that we're trying to solve for. I can't remember my course schedule, my senior year of high school or college, frankly, but the people, <laughs> the experiences, the substance of that experience will never leave me. And that that's really a lot of times what we're trying to tap back into at TGFs. Yeah. And I've heard so many of your members say that. I've heard them talk about meeting colleagues that become longtime business colleagues, just meeting people as a part of the community that they never would have connected with. And they really do see the gathering spot as as a nexus. This is a pre-pandemic thought. And I'm, I'm really grateful that we were thinking about the business in this way, but it has always been about people and not about building spaces. I look at the space as really a tool. It helps to facilitate connections. And so any gathering spot has three parts to it, a restaurant and bar, workspace and event space. But the thesis there is simple. People connect through dining, they connect over work and they connect through experiences. And that's why we have the three parts of this. But again, they're all tools that kind of roll up to this larger idea that meeting people, building relationships, especially in a world that's increasingly digital. We talk a lot of times in ways that suggest that I connected with you online or I follow you. Those tools help to facilitate some bit of a connection, but there's nothing like actually talking with someone. And we try not to forget that at TGS. All the technology is fantastic. The tech are a lot of times just tools to get to hopefully a much more rich and deep experience that happens once you're able to convert the digital to real life. Even when you're talking about referencing your senior year in high school, your senior year in college, it's hard to create relationships as a fully formed adult, probably because there's no place to do it. The topic of this conversation is strategic manufactured wins. Before the pandemic, Ryan, I remember, I think it was a conversation I had with you and Jay Bailey, and we were talking about as leaders in this entrepreneurial space, how do we really create wins? How do we create leverage for ourselves? Strategic manufactured wins always struck with me as something that you said, because I think that more people need to think that way. 
And then at the top of the pandemic, I think you came out with a series of videos. You said, we're all we've got. And both of those statements, I think, are ahead of the curve. I think they really are pushing people to be better leaders. But I'd like for you to speak on those two concepts in the context of entrepreneurship, strategic manufactured wins, and we're all we've got. I appreciate the question. Simply put, I think a lot of times we we have a conversation in a way that suggests that there's some other group of people, some other institution that's supposed to come and help us as a community be successful. And I don't believe that group of people or that institution exists. It's us. There's nobody else coming. And I think the faster we get to that, that, that realization, like the more work we'll be able to get done. And which actually leads me to the manufacturer wins piece. As we're talking about what happens next, again, realizing that there's no one else coming, we've got to be intentional in that moment. It's not about then just being there. We've got to now say, we're at point A, how do we get to B? And how are we specific and intentional about doing that? I think a lot of times, particularly with businesses, we have this approach that just suggests that the business should just organically, magically get to scale and (laughs) no one really needs to put in any effort. And I'm not talking about the internal stakeholders. Most folks in business and their teams are working hard to try to get the businesses to scale, but it's the rest of the ecosystem that just believes that they should just, again, magically get there. I don't believe that. I think that we have to get excited or get passionate about the businesses that are in our community that we want to see win and then conspire to do whatever we can to get them to the places that we believe that they can get to. That's not to me charity or being anywhere near altruistic. That's actually the way that cities and ecosystems grow that are beneficial for everyone. The more companies that we have in the city that are doing well, that the community can say, we had a part in making that so. I remember when they were at point A and wow, they're at Z. The net impact in terms of the number of jobs created, the talent that'll be in the market, the opportunities for growth that we'll see people have and skill sets that will be able to be developed. Those sort of things are all very important byproducts of an ecosystem a startup ecosystem or entrepreneurial ecosystem that's thriving. Denzel Washington said this thing one time that stuck with me that dreams without goals remain dreams and ultimately fuel disappointment. And I think that's the truth when you're talking about entrepreneurship. We may have a dream to be successful, but if we don't have specific goals and a path to get there, we ultimately will be disappointed by what happens. Nobody's coming for us. And because nobody is, it is, a, it is our job to make sure that we do everything specifically to grow and scale our own businesses. I think the other thing in there that I just, I love is that it it's empowering. It, you look into yourself and say, I'm enough. We need to leverage it and figure it out. And it's hopeful. It is to me. I, that's not a sad message to me at all. Mm-hmm. I, right. I like the idea that the ball is in my hands at the end of the game. I prepare every day to shoot that shot. That's right. I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to do it. Being an entrepreneur is not for you. If the idea of the responsibility of heading your direction feels like too much, and respectfully, that's fine. We need people at all parts in the ecosystem. But for the entrepreneurs that are out there, you've got to love the idea that it's on you. And you have to feel like you're the best person in the world to solve the problem. And you need to be in an ecosystem where that ecosystem feels like this is an environment where we want to see people and companies like yours win. We're not there yet, but some bit of this is a mindset shift. It really actually isn't talking about 
the institutional stuff that also probably needs to be shifted in most instances. But I'm talking about the work that we can wake up tomorrow and do, which is believing and knowing that, yes, to your point, we're enough. But then like also you yourself as an individual are enough to get this done. Well, we talked a little bit about community, and I know that you're intentional about having women on your team. But can you talk about this? I am enough. I am prepared to take that shot. I continue to prepare to take that shot. I have not only a dream, but a goal that I'm going to achieve as for women entrepreneurs. And even I'll say to to the people listening, your new father and you've got a daughter and you were able to speak to the group of women that I lead in my entrepreneurship initiative. And I wanted you to speak because there was something you posted. I cannot wait to tell her everything I know. Like she's going to be so prepared, whatever, whatever my daughter wants to do, she's going to be prepared. And I said, I got to get Ryan come speak to the women because I want them to know they're prepared. And even if they're not quite prepared, they can be. It's on them. I'd love for you to speak about it as it pertains to women, because I think women need to hear this. So, yes, the majority of the membership at TGS, 60 percent plus of our membership community are women. Our leadership team that's pushing 80 plus percent. And so. I'm really proud of that, but I, I think it's really important to to say quickly that that's not charity work or philanthropic work. I think a lot of times when we talk about any diversity, equity, or inclusion efforts, we like bump them up right against the charitable activities of whatever the, the business is doing. I don't look at it that way. I'm grateful that the women that are on our team choose every day to work with us. And I think that we're a better business because of their influence. And again, that's sure connected to my values or yeah. morals, but it's also just connected to my, my, my business sense. I, I, yeah, women I, believe, good business, <laughs> right? I believe that we're a better business because of it. Again, when I'm talking about this, I don't want folks to, to, to hear it as uh, like, this is some sort of charitable act. It isn't. We're a better company because of the way that we think about building our teams. Okay. So next to that, in, in terms of being confident and being enough, my philosophy here is simple. I just simply refuse to believe that the big opportunities in life, the opportunities to scale and start businesses and live out your dreams, that's reserved for everybody except for me. Or in the context, we're talking about women, that's reserved for all of the men. It just simply isn't, right? So if you if that's your starting point, then what we have to realize is that we absolutely have the ability to compete at the highest levels of the game. It's actually, it's borderline our birthright as people to be able to play the game as a, at as high as of a level as anybody else. And so I firmly believe that and try to remind myself, I think there's a lot of days where the opposite is told to you in many ways, both directly and indirectly, but look, none of us were put here to, to play it small and so if you find yourself at a critical moment in your business, which is normal, know that there's a reason why you started. You've got to continue to listen to that reason. But then also know that success isn't reserved for somebody else. That's also a seat that you can occupy. And no one is being philanthropic by working with you or giving you an opportunity. And I say this a lot of times in the context of raising money. You know, what a privilege it is to be able to invest in my company. And I know that sounds like a, a radical thing to say because the industry is about trying to make you feel like you should be privileged that I invested in your company. And I guess that's true to a certain extent, but I work at this every day and I'm going to make you some money. Congratulations to, to yeah. you for being a part of what we're building. And 
I'm glad to be a part of what you're building too, but just know that this is mutual. I'm not, again, this isn't charity. Investing in in, in a Black-owned business and a woman-owned business and a Black woman-owned business, that's not charitable activity. Those folks are trying to make money. And so you've got to realize that who you are in that equation, a very important person, you're a very important person in that equation, and they will never forget it. Certainly the folks that are putting capital into the business know that they wouldn't be investing otherwise. So they know that you're important. You have to act like it. It's a force multiplier. If you walk into the situation with that level of confidence, and sometimes people start to look around, oh, maybe I really do need to be next to this person. I really do need to understand better why they're so confident in their solution and themselves and the team that they're building all these things. It certainly doesn't hurt. I do this every day. It's not about being smarter than anybody or I do this with intensity and passion every single day. And so because of that, yes, it would be a shame if I wasn't confident. Why do I do this if I didn't believe that we were right? I only get a chance to do life one time. I'm not going to do it in a way where I feel sad about my capabilities that if I'm applying myself, which I am, then I'm going to talk to you like I'm a person that is working as hard as I'm working. I can't, I won't be, I'm not being honest with you and I'm, or myself if I talk about that in a different way. And I think the more entrepreneurs have that perspective, that's actually an attitude that, that attracts capital, not that's arrogance. It but confidence that you're actually the person that's going to solve a problem and and return capital. I think it's incumbent that we demand that of ourselves and everyone around us. Certainly of ourselves, but you said something powerful there. It's it's around it's of the folks around us too. We don't, I think a lot of times push that button in folks. You've got to sometimes be the person that reminds the people in your network. You were there when they got started. You knew what that that spark was, what they're passionate about. And you should know that the game is designed to take parts of that away. But sometimes you need to be that friend, partner, colleague that taps the person on the shoulder and says, hey, look, I remember five years ago when you said you were doing this. And I remember why you said you were doing it. Don't lose that. Like the world needs that thing. And we live in a world, especially with all the digital stuff where, you know, a lot of the comments are so critical. It feels like a lost art to be uplifting to folks. My challenge to myself and to everybody is you know, we should be those people that there's no greater honor than when a person remembers you and their journey as the person that was encouraging. And having done this for a while, I, I can't tell you, it's really hard to describe when a person comes back and says, sometimes in conversations that I don't even remember, Yeah, they'll yeah. say, hey, that thing that you said to me five years ago, that really helped in a moment where I needed it to help. What an honor it is to be able to participate in building anything that's positive. I want every entrepreneur listening to repeat this phrase right here. I'm confident because I do this every day with passion, with persistence, and with excellence. It's this attitude that attracts capital to your solution. I want to emphasize how important it is to drive economic development, prosperity, entrepreneurship with a plan that we develop together through community ties. How important it is to prepare ourselves mentally how critical it is that we advocate for each other positively. None of us were put here to play it small. Success is not reserved for someone else. The value that entrepreneurs and female founders in particular bring to the table is awesome. Create your self-agency. Being a woman-owned, black woman-owned, brown woman-owned, Asian woman-owned, queer woman-owned, whatever type of woman you are, owned business is a strategic advantage. going to leave this conversation with a book list. 
a reading list curated by the We Entrepreneurs of Cohort 6. It's practical, it's spiritual, it's strategic and inspirational. And there's an Easter egg in there with insights on the next episode. Entrepreneurship in the Hollywood Narrative Debunked. Thank you for listening to Why Atlanta, podcast sponsored and produced by the Women's Entrepreneurship Initiatives of Atlanta. The Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative is a 15-month incubator program funded by the City of Atlanta. We are the only municipally funded program of our kind in the nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of Why Atlanta. Why Atlanta is produced by Pixel Recess at pixelrecess.com. 